0: Thank you. Objects, a podcast all about cultural history, politics, and tat. A little bit like a cursed show and tell, where every week we bring in an object that shows us how we've gone wrong in society. I don't know why I <laughs> ph- phrase that almost like a question. An object? <laughs> an object
1: is an object. It is it, an object. And it does show us how yeah. we've gone wrong. Yeah. yeah. Uh, or, or tells us something about the world we live in that is deeply cursed.
0: Yes. And this week we're talking about, I don't know, is a liquid an object? I guess it's encased in packaging. It's very right? much
1: encased in an object. In an object, yeah, 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 right, right. Yeah. <laughs> and it seems to me the the object itself, the exterior, the packaging is, is quite a big part of this story. Should we stop being so enigmatic? <laughs> no, let's say who we are. What's your name again?
0: I'm as ever, historian and Frisian stan Dr. Cashate. <laughs>
1: We've all got a favourite cow. <laughs> uh, and my name's Dan Hancock, so I'm a journalist, author, and uh unvash kiri. Unvash kiri? Oui, unvash. Unvash.
0: Unvash kiri. Oui. Oui.
1: <laughs> that's about as far as I can go in French, fortunately. So the rest of the, the rest of the episode will very much be in English. What made. does
0: it mean in French?
1: Uh, it means the laughing cow.
0: Oh, my God. I love the laughing cow. That was a real jump scare
1: moment, wasn't it?
0: (laughs) (laughs) I love the laughing cow so much. And, okay, if you haven't guessed, this week we're going to be talking about milk. Fans of the pod will know that um, maybe you'll remember from the Poirot episode where I mention being really hungover at Mm. my house, my parental home drinking a lot of milk because it was the only thing that was cold in the fridge oh man yeah I have a really really like quite a strong relationship with milk because mm. of that so like growing up my dad was always just like yeah strong kids drink milk so I would like you know he, as a treat he would buy us like a pint of milk after oh my god after school.
1: That's, so, that's so old school <laughs> it's the most,
0: most incredibly Polish thing ever <laughs> um but and also it,
1: can I pick you up on that is yeah. it the most incredibly Polish thing ever
0: well, I don't know. You only have your maybe,
1: ex- family's experience to go on, maybe. Yeah, but, maybe but it's it a feel... hybrid thing.
0: Maybe right. it is. Because actually, Polish milk is really, generally, I think, quite poor quality. Like, a lot of it was like UHT milk, the kind of milk mm-hmm. that we, you know, that's long like... Long life. Long life, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, that was my experience when I was going to Poland when I was, like, a kid. So, yeah, like, I never really associated it with that necessarily. Mm. But now you say that, I don't know, I wonder. But anyway, you know, I'm, I've got a really strong relationship with milk. Also, that sounds really weird, but anyway, it's fine. <laughs> I've got a really strong relationship with milk.
1: I wonder if milk knows this. Yeah.
0: But... <laughs> I'm in an open relationship <laughs> with milk, but milk doesn't know.
1: And we're talking about dairy milk here, aren't we're we? We're talking about dairy milk. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, right now, yeah. we're talking
0: about dairy milk, but I've kind of developed and gendered a relationship. I'm kind of cheating on dairy milk with, with oat milk. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Just a, yeah, let's, this... let's continue this metaphor throughout the entire episode. Why not? Yeah. <laughs>
0: um because when i was working in little oak the coffee shop down the road i just worked with milk every single day and when you Mm. work reheating milk every day my my former boss nodge was is a vegan Mm. and when you work with milk every single day you really kind of you see you see it all right (laughs) (laughs) you really see the intricacies because when you're like making milk for coffees you're heating, you're cooling, you're like doing like latte art and all of these things. So you Can know. Can you do the
1: latte art? Yeah,
0: I mean, not that well, but quite, oh, like, oh, I don't know. Like, well. okay. Like, <laughs>
1: oh, brilliant.
0: Yeah, I kind of I wanted to develop the skill, but like, you really learn like its form and its texture and like mm. the micro bubbles that you create when you like make a really good cappuccino. And
1: it's your, it's your, yeah, I was going to say it's your canvas. That's not quite right, is it? The sort of. That mug of coffee is your canvas. It's, yeah, your, yeah. it's your painting materials.
0: Exactly, exactly. So you start to you start to really engage with it. You know mm. it really, really well. But also the heating and cooling of cow's milk is just disgusting. Oh,
1: oh, great. <laughs> there's gonna be quite a lot of visceral stuff this episode, by the way. I think it's you know, there's there's gonna be a lot of disgust to go with the delight. But I
0: yeah, I think it was because I worked with it so often that mm. it that it, it was really that. It was that mm. kind of like proximity, that closeness to it like even coffee yeah towards the end of a shift i'd come home and i smelt like coffee and i'd be like Mm, (laughs) so yeah but like that but times 10 but with milk so i got really really into oat milk
1: so uh, you did as a result
0: yeah so we had all of the alternatives and when i joined i was a little bit like i don't really know like i drink normal milk i've tried Mm. oat milk it felt quite zeitgeisty when I joined, you know, like kind of 2019, I wanna say. Like yeah. everyone was shrinking over Catch milk.
1: the wave. Yeah, yeah, like, oh my God, oat
0: milk, so cosmopolitan. <laughs> and it was just like, I don't know, to look back on that is a little bit cringe. But you know, like everyone, everyone who is like a young 20 something, or like mm. even not a young 20 something, just like someone who's older hamstered
1: hippies. Surely.
0: Oh, the Hampstead Hippies. It just felt like it was everywhere. Everyone yeah, yeah. was drinking it. And it's not just me that thinks this is also Eater London. I did a really, really good article that I'm going to go into later. Oh, right. All about, um, it's called Pouring One Out for Oat Milk. And it's all about the kind of rise and fall of oat milk. Oh, wow. Specifically, actually, the brand mm. that is on the cursed object that I want to talk about. Mm. So before we get into like alternative milks about almond and... and um, Split pea milk, actually, that's also a good one. Wow! Before we get into the kind of intricacies of the different ones, I'm just going to explain why I picked this as a cursed object. Yeah, please do. So the object I've picked is a grey carton of Oatly barista edition oat milk. The barista edition is different from like the regular because it's like, I think a bit more creamy. I think they add more. It's supposed to be better
1: for coffee, right?
0: Yes, so you can like add the bubbles, so you can Mm -hmm. turn it into a cappuccino much more easily. It's
1: more expensive, presumably.
0: I don't, I don't know about price, but it is, um, it has rapeseed oil in it. Right. So it, wow. yes, yeah, so it's basically cut with oil mm. as a way to make it more creamy. That's the taste, right? Where does it come it's sort from
1: Sort of otherwise? emulsified, I suppose. With the, with the water. exactly, yeah, exactly. Okay.
0: And I picked this carton of oat milk because this is like the staple milk that I drink.
1: Mm-hmm. And I
0: kind of resent that. And you know on Cursed Objects, what we do is we we take objects of the everyday and we mm. do a deep dive, right? Mm-hmm. So we kind of render the everyday the mundane cursed mm. right because we look at the kind of social worlds that surround it
1: something that might seem innocuous
0: something that might seem innocuous yeah. or zeitgeisty in a way that's like oh milk why not like,
1: yeah why is this everywhere all of a sudden yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 or why was it everywhere all of a sudden 25 years ago depending on what it was
0: and it, I think before we get into that kind of like social world around this specific mm. product I just want you to have a look okay at the absolute fucking cringe branding <laughs> on this fucking oat milk <laughs> i can't man the venom so, in your eyes oh, right now yeah it's just so <laughs> embarrassing you know when you see something and you're like not only do i feel manipulated mm. by this but i actually feel insulted mm-hmm. by how on the nose ridiculous some of this is so i want okay. you to i want you to have a little look and maybe <sighs> describe some of the things on the on the branding of this well
1: it's f- for starters on the front it's boasting that it's totally vegan, which is, you know... Does that need saying? But yeah, apparently so. (laughs) Totally vegan and a a point about its climate footprint in exactly how many kilograms of CO2 per kilo... It's a very confusing boast that obviously no one will have any frame of reference. Oh, it's 0.49 kilograms CO2 (laughs) CKG. Not like my usual 1.32. Anyway... Actually, can I say, can I say, that
0: is a really... Controversial claim because, well, so basically, Oatly specifically kind of came under fire. Um, and this is something that I got from that fantastic Eater London piece that I just mentioned. Mm. It kind of came under fire first because there was it had a massive investment in um, the company, came from a company called Blackstone, who okay. were like actively engaged in like deforesting
1: Brazil. <laughs> Blacks- what? Blackstone? Blackstone, like the company. I've, oh, wow. Yeah. It shows us a lot about
0: the economics of milk, right? Mm -hmm. And also, well, like of alternative milks. And not only that, but also it's kind of, from this article, it's saying it's halo of environmental friendliness (laughs) took another hit in 2021 when a UK regulator banned some of the company's ads for making environmental claims that it just couldn't back up with research. Oh, brilliant. And it's one of those things that around a kind of similar time, there was this idea of like, Okay, so you're a really successful company. Other companies are going to buy stocks and shares and whatever. But if those companies have connections to things that are completely and totally alien to what your brand stands for, are completely the opposite of what you are supposed to be. Mm. Like, what does that say about the consumer and why the consumer is buying it? Mm -hmm. You know, like, Mm -hmm. what does it mean for the consumer that suddenly something that they think that they're doing to help the planet Mm. is actually owned and making shitloads of money for a company that is like, I think, owned by like a, yeah, yeah, like, it's like, I think, headed by like a major Trump donor Mm -hmm. and yeah, actively involved in deforestation. Okay, so that's that's that. (laughs) That's a bit
1: of of backdrop to the, actually, yeah, very small but cursed thing on the front of this carton, this sort of rectangular grey carton of oat milk. There's then some of the worst tweevertising that I've seen in a really, really long time. And you sort of, I mean, it's a bit of a throwback in itself. You're like, what is, you know, the Innocent Smoothie kind of revolution in like conversational copy produced on the side of a packet to try and... I don't know why they think that sort of whimsical stuff is going to make it more saleable, but it's extremely grating and extremely cursed. And there's been a lot written about tweevertising over the last decade, but I sort of thought maybe we'd move beyond it. But here we, here we have on this side. We haven't, clearly, or some people haven't. It says on the side of the carton, infrequently asked questions. <laughs> um, and the question is, what kind of cows does oat drink come from? And then there's, I, I mean, just too much text. I can't read all this out. We'll be here all night. Like just a really, really long spiel about whether cows could make oat drink. Are they calling it, oh, they have to call it oat drink. That's an interesting thing I hadn't noticed before. It's not oat milk, it's oat drink.
0: Yeah, there's another angle to this, which is Mm, our,
1: Regulators have got involved, Yeah, and also,
0: like, you know, the fucking awful lobbying from a lot of industries in our country, Mm. specifically, like, the milk and dairy lobby. you think they push
1: back? 100%. You
0: see these articles all the time that are, like, uh, the meat and dairy industries are saying, like, you can't call vegan sausages, sausages sausages, even though a sausage isn't actually a part of a body. Like it's not part of, of an of everyone, animal flesh. Everyone,
1: any biologist knows about the pig sausage fingers. <laughs> no? is, that, is that not where they come from? Yeah, no, it's it's a really good point, actually. Don't tell the
0: king. But yeah, like
1: I guess if you're involved in animal agriculture, uh, in meat production, in dairy production, those industries are, are worried, obviously, extremely worried. There's massive. Disinvestment going on and reinvestment into into sort of various kind of vegan or plant based alternatives. Like I wrote a long read about veganism in twenty seventeen. I want to say for the Observer at their request. I was not a vegan then, and I'm not now, but I was asked to do it. It was a very very interesting piece of research. And the most interesting bits was like actually not the kind of grassroots stuff as much as I that's normally my main interest. But like you know this is big picture stuff about the future of our planet. And the big money, rather than the consumer decisions, are, are kind of more important in a way. Like, so you've got pension funds in sort of Scandinavia worth like billions and billions and billions of pounds being lobbied to pull out of animal agriculture and things like dairy milk and reinvest in plant-based alternatives and doing it. Like, you know, that those when those decisions are made, that's yeah, that's a lot of money, a lot of money is being reassigned. The animal agriculture kind of industries are in a rearguard position, right, mm. basically. So it, w- it would make sense if they were lobbying to call this oat drink, which doesn't sound quite as appealing as oat milk, does it? There's then something on the other side of the carton, which seems to just be like three—I want to say 300 words possibly, like way too many words about their founder, I think, is this? It says Legends of Oatly, and it's got like a sort of black and white drawing of this woman. It then says for over two decades, Karina has been our mojo, our secret source, our Yoda. And why? Why, why oh, are you giving just, me? Why are you, you giving me an line. HR? Why are you giving me an HR page on the side of your carton? I don't give a shit.
0: Read the last line. It oh. says
1: thank you for that. Karina is the penultimate line. Then it says see you at the recycling centre on Saturday, um, which I uh, posed as a question. <laughs> i I literally don't have time to read this all now it's too it's just it's just like that's actually terrible (laughs) terrible copywriting i think to like to have that much of it never mind how um how twee it is and that it is very twee so on the back for example where where you've got all the ingredients it says the boring but very important side and like the font is sort of styled after a horror movie because like reading about ingredients is is a horror show i don't know it's it's really annoying, isn't it, above yeah. all? Yeah. I mean, and that is only the tip of the iceberg, I think, of what is cursed about this particular object, but also how it sits in the kind of long history of, of other milks, yeah, dairy milk mostly, which I, we're also going to talk about today. I
0: feel like this is the problem, and this is kind of like one of the aspects of the curseness of this, is that like we want to be ethical consumers, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be part of the dairy industry that I know, you know, like cows are treated really badly their children their young calves are taken away yeah. before,
1: um, before they before they get to feed on their mother's milk yeah, yeah exactly
0: because it's not for us it's for the calves yeah and you know like I went hiking recently and you like I just saw some cows and their udders were so big and they looked so painful and it was really hot and these cows were just having such a bad time mm. and like you see that and you're like I, yeah this is just this is just terrible this is a horrendous
1: industry and yeah, the way yeah, yeah. it's conducted at the moment it's horrendous anyway
0: but also yeah. like we want to be we want to be ethical consumers yeah. but then like can I just say like on oat milk it's mm. frustrating because you think you're doing the right thing sure. and then suddenly it's like oh actually you're not doing the right thing because you're actually funding deforestation in Brazil but it's everything is telling you that you're doing the right thing and there's such a a confusing array, melange of messages Mm. that you feel like you constantly have to battle through to do the right thing.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think this is true of a lot of health stuff as well, like like health stuff related to food. Um, And I think, you know, newspapers like the Daily Mail are probably particularly culpable in, you know, publishing stories that one week will be like, here's why you absolutely cannot eat butter, and then sort of a month later, here's why you absolutely have to eat more butter and less margarine. for it. You know, things like that. I mean, I think it's become a bit of a truism, a bit of a common trope to say, like, I don't know what you're supposed to... Like, I don't know what's supposed to be fucking good for you or good for the planet anymore. Mm. And the problem with that is that then people end up worrying, anxious, and not actually making any ethical decisions for the better. You know, because they're because they're so bewildered by the information that they sort of just kind of check out of the entire process and conversation, while also you know, also having this guilt that is completely unproductive, doesn't do anything useful. Like Mm. it's not that isn't helping. You know, stop all kind of new coal and oil sort of like power plants or whatever. Mm. One thing I would say that is a positive. I won't say this object is blessed, but when you talk there about wanting to be an ethical consumer, knowing about how bad. Um, cows are treated by the modern dairy industry, how, and I I know this stuff too now, right? Like, you know, prices are driven down, which mean that actually, if you are a dairy farmer, you're, you know, on the verge of kind of going under at all times, because we've become accustomed to the prices being so low. At the same time, like we have a cost of living crisis where like, it doesn't feel like milk and butter are cheap. It feels like they're insanely expensive. But but the sort of supply chain system has sort of rotten at every point basically no one's doing well out of it really apart from Blackstone um and the, and the other sort of like you know the the people at the very top but what I was going to say is did either you or I know about any of this stuff about how bad the dairy industry was for cows 10 years ago I I, I didn't no this I don't is,
0: think I no.
1: so, so I would say there's you know that's one positive I will draw out is that mm. like we're we're at least able to have these conversations. If you'd asked me ten years ago, what's wrong with dairy milk, I'd be like, uh, uh, like nothing. What? Mm, <laughs> like, mm. I mean, maybe I knew a little bit about the sort of supply chain stuff and how how sort of screwed dairy farmers were, and that obviously then leads to cuts in how they, you know, they don't then treat their cows as well as they might be able to.
0: Which is actually interestingly, historically, there were there was a lot of like public understanding or at least engagement mm. with the idea that like milk at times was bad. Like the milk yeah. industry. Yeah. So yeah. um both you and I went to the milk exhibition at Welcome Collection. We did. Big ups um Danny Burchill for like pointing us in the direction of that.
1: Yeah. Um brilliant what- exhibition and like a really good sort of yeah, it's really educated me a lot for yeah, this. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I always love the welcome exhibitions, to be honest, but um it's it's really thorough and yeah, detailed. And- yeah. For there's a free some,
0: exhibition as well, yeah, it's there's, crazy, there's it's some quite, so good.
1: quite mad sort of art pieces, like yeah. installations, but also a lot of the stuff that I would expect from the Welcome Collection, like, oh, here's a public information poster or film from 1943, which shows mm. how, like, the government spoke about public health matters mm. back then. Um,
0: so we we went separately to go and yes. see it. I went with friend of the pod, Nick Banno, and we were kind of, like, walking through halfway, and he kind of turned to me, like, you know, it was, like, after work, and, like, we were both a bit tired, and he turned to me, and he was like... I feel a bit uncomfortable. And then he said, but I think that's probably shows that the exhibition's doing its job. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like, I think that's the thing. Like, there was so much to explore. It was like a very cursed objects kind of I was going to say,
1: there are so many... I mean, the reason that Nick felt uncomfortable, as I did, and queasy at points yeah, as really well. Like, yeah, really queasy, yeah. Like, was that, you know, it's quite a visceral subject and, it was a, and the exhibition did very well to, to draw that out. Um, maybe it's not even that hard. You just start talking about milk and milk production at length and you do... You know, this is this is something that we were all raised on. Mm. <laughs> and that that is somehow inherent, sort of intrinsic to sort of our functioning. Mm. Even if you are someone who has their coffee black, you know, for mm. example, today, like we, you know, milk is it's something that evokes a lot of emotions and visceral feelings. And there's a lot of cursed objects in that in that exhibition. Mm. Um, I think one of the things that that really kind of emphasises how intrinsic to everyday life and sort of how how we operate um milk is was the there's a poster from the 1970s which sort of as an advertising slogan for milk said enjoy a pint of natural goodness mm-hmm. and it's that idea that it's natural which seems perfectly obvious and it's sort of word that you would just completely gloss over if you saw it in mm-hmm. an advert <laughs> normally if mm-hmm. you weren't at an exhibition sort of being made to think about this stuff but why is it natural yeah like I you know one of the things I learned from the exhibition is There are large numbers of, like, indigenous tribes and sort of, you know, people's communities around the world who have never milked their animals. Yeah, yeah. I was like, oh, so this isn't, this isn't, it's not just that some human beings are lactose, well, many, many human beings are lactose intolerant, um, after childhood anyway, which is true of so many parts of the world. But also, it's not even true That everybody milks their cows.
0: Yeah. So it's really interesting as well. Like it's said that from the early 20th century, um, that's kind of where milk habits started to form. So really Uh a lot of the stuff, like the association of it being natural and whatever, a lot of it came through and like advertising in the 20th century. It's actually quite a new phenomenon. Mm. And also uh, two thirds of the world's population are lactose intolerant
1: right so it's two-thirds yeah there we go and it's it's crazy
0: it's like one of the most technologized substances so to (laughs) go back to that earlier point um Mm. in the kind of late 19th century um there was a lot of panic actually about milk because Mm. Um, there were fears that TB was being spread through it. Um, yeah. A lot of milk was being cut with like chalk and flour.
1: Delicious. Yeah.
0: And like, you know, they were they were feeding this to children. <laughs> Lovely stuff. And, and, getting, and obviously the children were getting really ill yeah. and dying, essentially. Yeah. So from that moment, actually, that's when the kind of government stepped in. It became mm. like almost like state. Maybe Wait. not state-sanctioned, but it became one of these, um, like, legislated. So companies had to um, mm. adhere to, like, quite a high scientific mm. barrier mm-hmm. um, in order to be able to, like, sell. So, like, larger companies start selling and producing milk. That's where we get all of these, like, technologies around milk. It's, mm. like, it's so fascinating. Through milk, you can trace the history and development of food science and technology. Yeah, yeah. But also it blew my mind to discover colonialism as well. Yes, yeah. Oh, my God. So my favourite object from the exhibition, sorry, listeners, this might be like a little bit like a a virtual tour, right? But (laughs) there was this object, which I think was from Ethiopia. I went a couple of weeks ago, so my memory on this Mm. is a little hazy. But it was a football that was made out of cartons of milk. And on Mm. this football, there were like Frisian cows. And it was really interesting, because obviously I don't think Frisian cows are like are native to uh ethiopia like i don't think that is like uh, like where frisian cows come from and it and it kind of shows in this object mm. how through um how through milk production essentially and all of the like cultural symbolism around milk production are the ideas around health mm. around being strong mm-hmm. and exporting that globally actually it kind of signifies a new form of like cultural imperialism but also like mm. also like business imperialism also like straight up imperialism yeah, right yeah, yeah. because where does that money go who owns those companies
1: yeah well i mean ne- nestle's role in africa is like well documented <laughs> for that matter as well yeah um yeah no i was fascinated to 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 learn about the kind of the colonial role that it, it played which i think partly speaks to just something else you were saying there about about sort of the moment where the government really step in and take over what presumably and, you know, as far as I understand, in sort of earlier centuries, in the early modern period or whatever, when people drank milk in the West, it was from a local farm. You know, mm. it was maybe from a cow they had access to. Access to a cow. You know what <laughs> I mean? Um, but the idea that it becomes... <laughs> do you a, want access? Do you, yeah. Do you got, need the key? Have you got cow access? Uh, <laughs> no, my mate's on the guest list. Um, is this sort of top down, like the relationship between the state and that's, you know, as sort of linking kind of the imperial stuff with the with the domestic stuff. That's all about the fact that the British state was itself, you know, a colonial enterprise mm-hmm. at that period, at that point. But but it's an extremely top down and, you know, I was going to say paternalistic, which is ironic, given that this is all about matrilineal, like, you know, the, yeah. the, the mo- relationship with the mother. But it is a sort of paternalistic kind of action of the state to not just to regulate milk so that and, and help with the industrialization of that process. And as you say, technologization of that process, but also to then you know, the public information kind of campaigns that I refer, referred to before um, are a key part of, you know, uh, the, I mean, what a, what a perfect emblem really for the period of social democratic welfareism welfare mm-hmm. state uh, building in the 1940s and beyond. And in fact, it's 1940, I think, that the government first starts distributing milk to kids in schools um, as well, mm-hmm. which is something that goes on for several decades from that point on and that's you know it is just the perfect example of like we are going to intervene in, in you know that's the nanny state you know mm-hmm. mm-hmm. in, in an almost literal sense yeah. isn't it uh, culminating I wonder I wonder how many of our listeners know about this um culminating in uh, the taking away of that milk by one Margaret Thatcher in in the early 70s before she was prime minister uh, and the slogan that came out of that uh, Thatcher Thatcher milk snatcher uh, because she, because she which is it's good stuff isn't it <laughs> it's on the nose it really yeah, is it's on
0: the nose
1: but it does the job <laughs> <laughs> I think when I first heard about the, the idea that Margaret Thatcher was sort of had become renowned for her like and there's there's something very interesting going on there I'm sure conservative like allies or supporters of Thatcher have claimed you know well that's basically like left-wing sexism like to to sort of paint her as this sort of ogre like figure who um, would da- who would steal a child's milk away from mm. them you know like
0: did you have it, milk at school? I had milk at school. Well, so this
1: is what I was going to say. It Confused the hell out of me when I first sort of read about Thatcher mm. milk. Thatcher as a teenager, because I was like, wait, but I, I had milk at school. I don't. Mm. But I think I think what what changed was that it had been compulsory for kids from the day they started school until the age of eleven, uh-huh. and she restricted it to like four ages, four to seven. Uh-huh. So she and and or and or made it non compulsory. Mm-hmm. So a lot of schools kept doing it anyway. We went to school in London. I don't know if there's a, that's relevant, that we went both went to state schools in London in that maybe a legacy of the Inner London Education Authority, which is a, you know, sort of left-wing controlled uh, outpost of the GLC of the in the 1980s, maybe means that sort of the way that schools were run at that point was with an eye to, like, urban poverty. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you know, Cash and I were dragged up from the dirt, which you can, which you can tell. But, yeah, you know, middle-class <laughs> kids like us that also went to state schools, it's maybe not that surprising that we still got milk makes you feel quite sick think about. I, I do not, I would not drink milk on its own. Now? No. It makes me feel st- unwell. I still would. Yeah. Well, you still- you still do, <laughs> apparently, when you're hungover. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I'd Only when I'm at my parents' house and Poirot's on the TV. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. For no, old times' sake. In those very specific specific <laughs> circumstances. But yeah, it's interesting, you know, your dad said to you, uh, when he bought you your your treat of a, a pie, of, of a, a pint pie, of, no, of a bite of milk, that uh, that it will make you strong, right? Yeah, yeah. And there's like there's some truth in that, and it's got calcium in it, right? Mm-hmm. But that's you know that is a, an idea that milk makes you strong is something that runs from like just popular wisdom as espoused by our parents mm. to like maybe there's a generational shift there. Maybe we aren't going to be saying to our kids, "You've got to drink this dairy milk; it will make you strong." But like said, our parents' generation did. Uh, right up to then, the state doing the same, and indeed the imperial state doing that overseas to people who, for whom, drinking milk was going to make them sick. Like you know, like mm. just which is just one of many sort of outrageous kind of aspects of the way that the relationship between kind of milk and the colonial period. Mm. There was something else in the exhibition, which uh, which I thought was just hor- horrifying and outrageous, which was uh, something about um, wet nurses, which are people who were employed to uh, breastfeed children that were not their own
0: yeah
1: uh in a period where you know particularly like wealthier people i think would, would obviously would employ them because they didn't want to be that close to their kids presumably mm. and there were there were enslaved african women who had their children snatched away from them in order that they could then be wet nurses to like western yeah. kids i mean there's yeah. so there's some there's some deeply cursed like and unpleasant yeah stuff
0: I thought, in that I thought... story history I found the idea of, um, there was like a photograph, I can't remember the campaign that it was under of um, empowering black women to breastfeed Mm. um, their children in America, specifically because there are lower rates of breastfeeding in America Mm -hmm. amongst um, like their black female population. Yeah. Precisely because of the legacies of slavery, but also that it's looked down upon as like a practice. So it becomes one of these things that like already people that are like, massively marginalised in society who have mm. less like less access to material conditions that they then have to that they then rely on like formula formula okay. is so called because it was supposed to be the perfect balance that mimicked breast milk the perfect formula,
1: the, the is perfect the, that's, formula that's sort is of the, like is, the implicit yeah, yeah. like pre- yeah, prefix
0: yeah and so then there's a reliance so you have to pay for this mm, right mm. i just found i mean also it just you know just as a reminder i thought there was something some really interesting things about how um, how incredibly racist a lot of medical developments were because they were completely mm. engineered towards white women, yeah. like, you know, upper middle class women's bodies. And I just, to be honest with you, I think it's just, you know, really important and worth saying that like, like medical um misogynoir i guess we would call it is Mm. still so rife like if you Mm. look at maternity Mm
1: -hmm. like you
0: know like um mortality rates and 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 all of that like it's so embedded in in our system still even in a way that we would like like to think that it's not and i think for the welcome to actually bring that up and bring it up to the forefront Mm. is really important and and i read i think it was like in the telegraph it was some it was some absolute you got past the paywall
1: then (laughs)
0: Not going to tell you how,
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> but it was like some hack piece that was all like, I went to this exhibition and I thought it was really rubbish. It says that milk is X, Y, and Z, and like,
1: and actually it makes you strong, you yeah, know. Yeah, and yeah, it was yeah, like yeah.
0: that, and I, this woman was complaining um, that she couldn't take her kids around it, and I think the like tagline yeah. of the of the exhibition is something like milk uh, as the title, and then power politics all of yeah. these things that i can't really imagine like a four-year-old would really be that interested in <laughs> <laughs> so like maybe she should have i don't know read up on it a little bit before <laughs> but i just think that it really likes like to explore the power dynamics around milk is really fascinating because as mm. an everyday object right as, a, as something that cuts through mm. our everyday experience of life mm. it, it literally sees and is used in myriad and multiple ways yeah I think one of the things that I found most like challenging I guess in terms of how to understand all of the different facets of milk is that I am not a I don't have children. Mm. I'm not a breastfeeding woman mm-hmm. and there was a part of it that I felt quite disconnected from. Sure. Kind of mainly because when you're kind of like in your 30s there's pressure to have children mm. so then you're kind of like I can't I can't relate to this. So yeah, any yeah. discussion around women's health if you're someone who isn't or like you know giving birth or like yeah. or any of the aspects of that if you're not someone who's engaged in those things mm. like in that moment in your life they feel incredibly alien yeah, because you're yeah. not you're not part of them because they're so entrenched yeah
1: yeah do you know what i
0: mean so it, i felt like in that moment in the exhibition i was like god this is so this is so complex and mm. so difficult to grasp all yeah, of yeah. the different ways that like milk is understood and used
1: yeah, and politicized and, and and innately political. You know, mm. there was a really a really good zine called Milk Report, which someone an artist had compiled recording the let me check my notes, seven hundred and twenty hours that they spent breastfeeding, uh, and then worked out if that was paid that time was paid at minimum wage. It that would be five thousand nine hundred pounds. Which is, you know, raises the the idea there being to point out as an adjacent thing of, like, wages for housework, which is a sort of feminist rallying cry, the idea that there should be wages for care work mm. as well. But, yeah, I can see... Obviously, I felt I'm detached from the personal relationship with that idea.
0: You're
1: also not a cow. I'm not a cow or, 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 <laughs> or, a, or a breastfeeding woman. But, yeah, um, just to be... Although I did say I was a laughing cow at the beginning, didn't I? But it was in French, and <laughs> I don't want to understand confusing. it. Confusing, <laughs> confusing. Um, but, like, yeah, some you know, these are these are innately political themes and ideas and it's there's something very as i said earlier like visceral and uh, the, about that as well on which subject actually something that brought to mind thinking about think about this was um and bear with me on this short anecdote <laughs> was uh when i was in madrid for the general strike in 2012 mm-hmm. um and the entire you know the country was slightly falling apart There's in depth of the spanish economic crisis and i was reporting on the this yeah like a, a general strike it's a big deal right um tens possibly hundred I think hundreds of thousands, possibly millions of people out on the streets of Madrid and Barcelona and various other cities in Spain uh and the riot police turn up, you know, I saw rubber bullets fired across Plaza del Sol. It was uh pretty hairy stuff even as someone who's seen Britain's riot police in action. When the van, this is going to be connected to milk. Don't worry, we're getting (laughs) there. And when the the riot vans wheel round the, so it starts off as a peaceful demonstration. Mm. It's been going on all day. Everyone's kind of exhausted, but like emotions are really high. Wheel round the corner, like, and there are like 30 riot police vans there. Terrifying sight. You're like, Mm. fuck, this is getting serious. Somebody shouts out uh, like something like, Dios mio, las lecheras. And I turned to my friend and I was like, wait, what was that? What did he say? (laughs) Something about leche? What? Something about milk? He said, ah, las lecheras. That means milk wagons, which itself is like a sort of odd thing to hear because you're like, well, the hell's a milk wagon? But Mm. they they used to exist in Britain as well. Like, they delivered milk. Um, They were how milk got around from the farms, (laughs) essentially, Mm. rather than the massive lorries and industrialized processes we have now. The riot vans are nicknamed lecheras in Spain because... There is a phrase to beat someone up, which is uh da la leche, to give the milk. So if I la if I give you the milk, I'm beating the crap out of you. What? Which means that the riot police fans are known as milk wagons because they they give out the milk. Uh-huh. Um, now what we can conclude from all that, I'm not sure, <laughs> but it is quite weird and funny <laughs> that like that like that like riot these terrible things have been nicknamed like milk wagons, and that's mm-hmm. just a common if you're an activist and demo if you've ever been on a demo in Spain, you just know that, that that's what they're called. Um, but yeah, you know, I guess if I'm trying to link my random anecdote back into the theme of the show, that what that proves is that like everything from police violence to you know state violence to uh, to you know what we were talking about before about kind of you know breastfeeding and that being a vital and unremunerated unre- part of like life that women have to do. But I
0: love this, it's right? The, they're
1: all the big stuff. Yeah, it's really cool well, because it's really
0: connected as well. Cause one thing that I've always been kind of like really intrigued by is this kind of weird relationship between this is gonna sound really mad. Hold on, right? Hold yeah, on. Yeah. yeah. Between um kind of like far right fascist groups and okay. drink and milk drinking.
1: Uh okay. You know, I mean gonna, I'm, gonna... I'm 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 fascinated, <laughs> as I'm sure our listeners are, but I but I'm not my brain's trying to do that thing where you join two dots and I'm like, yeah, I, I don't know what yeah. what is the connection?
0: Yeah. So um, I think milk has, I think because of its, basically its role in colonialism, but also mm. this idea of like health. There's quite a lot of like, because, you know, in the early 20th century, predominantly it was drunk in Europe, North America. There is a kind of association with uh I don't know, like what like white Western culture, perhaps.
1: And strength. Yeah, Physical and strength, strength right? Yeah, yeah. So this idea,
0: all of these campaigns, drink yeah. milk to be strong, they kind of inadvertently have also led to this very strange culture now where neo-Nazis are like filming themselves drinking like gallons wow, of milk. No I'm not way. joking. So um this artist, Luke Turner, who also weirdly, not gonna get into it, but like anyone who's like active and on twitter and wants to have a look is like in a really horrible like defamation case with nina power who was like left wing and is not left wing i'm not gonna say more than that because i don't want to get sued we're not
1: gonna get sued and also (laughs) to be clear this is a different luke turner from the one who's just written an excellent book book about (laughs) about gays in the second world war yeah yeah and and bisexual men in the second world war yeah yeah which um yeah
0: this is like an artist, Different who, Luke and I think the art. I think the art piece was called "They Will Not Replace Us" or something mm-hmm. like that. And it was it was oh, recording. Wow. It was like a video of Trump supporters, yeah. basically like drinking milk, and like they're like all together, and they're all like taking their shirts off, and <laughs> they're all like, like you know, wow. c- kind of doing this bravado That's thing. Fascinating. I know it's really interesting, like how because we talk about you know, kind of like the ethnography of like cultures quite often and how Mm. often they're quite subtle, you know, the difference, Mm. like how do you identify yourself as part of a group? So like one of them is, you know, Pepe the frog, the little, it was like an internet meme. Like that has become a far right rallying, like, like it's become a far right symbol. Yeah. Co-opted as a far right symbol. So now if you go on like blogs or whatever, if there's a frog, the meaning to the people who are like fascist there's like mm. a little frog emoji they will know that they're part of this like online kind of I don't know anthropological conversation I yeah don't know. it's
1: like it's a it's a denoting of your affiliation of your affiliation uh, yeah, yeah. yeah exactly so people do so the same with is, like yeah. milk emoji like well I don't think with, I don't think
0: with milk emojis I haven't seen that but I think but like, keep an
1: eye out for it yeah <laughs>
0: We called it. We it don't, we don't,
1: yeah, we don't want to create this problem, but, like, <laughs> but, but maybe identify it before it's happened. But um, like, but that is so interesting. Yeah, the idea, you know, I'm big and strong, I'm mm. white, the milk mm. is white. Like, you know, uh, we, Literally, you know, it's that on this the nose. Is, I, I'm less likely to be lactose, no, not impossible that I'm lactose intolerant because I'm a white Western, you know, Caucasian.
0: Also, fascists are stupid.
1: Yes, they're yeah. fucking idiots. Sure, sure. You know, yeah. so they're
0: going. Milk make me strong. <laughs> yeah. I'm a strong fascist person. Milk make me strong, and that's it.
1: Before before drinking too much and getting a tummy ache. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah, essentially. No,
0: I'm an ill fascist person. Yeah, yeah. I'm just need a little
1: bit of a lie down. <laughs> need a little
0: bit of a lie down but, before yeah, my fascism. So, I yeah. would never
1: have guessed, but it makes perfect sense. Now you spelled it out, like yeah, how it could become sort of an avatar for. I guess because also they, I want
0: to I want to stress here yeah. right that I'm not so
1: you're not saying milk is fascist no. today
0: so um any like, more than
1: we're saying that oat milk is saving the planet yeah, yeah.
0: well because after the exhibition um nick went away somewhere um and i went away somewhere and he sent me a picture of a cow and was like oh my god i've seen a fascist in the wild
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: so That's now whenever stuff. we go away places and we see a cow we'll send it to each other just like oh my god i'm fucking surrounded Hello, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> keep an eye out
0: fascist cows mm-hmm. Tell- everywhere
1: yeah yeah Yeah, I was just going to say that, like, another thing that I've been thinking about, and, you know, I said at the beginning, I'm a laughing cow, but the idea that cows are themselves happy has often been, has been a big part of that kind of the use of milk as propaganda in the 20th century, or that your, you know, public information, health information, you know, campaigns from the big kind of uh, Western nanny state in that period of sort of mid-century, it's apex, you know, when... There was a massive health crisis. You know, the reason that the British government introduced a kind of compulsory milk drinking for kids or provision of free milk rather in, in 1940 was that you know there was a lot of a lot of poverty that mm. actually could be improved. Um, but part of that, as I say, is the idea that the cows are happy. And you describe some quite unhappy and unwell looking mm. cows. It really complicates and problematizes and makes us feel guilty about drinking dairy milk. Those of us that still do. But yeah, I found it really interesting that like. The anthropomorphizing of the cow as the laughing cow, I love that. Um, which you know, I grew up eating. Mm. That was my introduction to cheese. Mm. Really important introduction in my life. <laughs> you know, um, and th- there were some other things in the exit. You know. It goes,
0: it goes that laughing yeah. cow, and then meeting me, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The yeah. two most important introductions. These are the key.
1: Those would be the two parts of my autobiography. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> the laughing cow part and the cash part. Yeah, sure. Um, <laughs> there was something else. I don't think there was any laughing cow. Uh, you know merch or material in the uh in the exhibition but there was a set of cow creamers from the from the i think the mm-hmm. early 20th century which are like basically a milk jug or a cream jug where the cow is like painted beautifully mm-hmm. and looks and and is clearly smiling as well mm. like it's having a lovely time and which is which is vital to that kind of propaganda effort of like being like yeah we're just this is happy and harmonious and, and again natural um let I'm gonna, me serve
0: you humans exactly
1: yeah exactly <laughs> it's the supplicant animal that is you know just delighted to mm. be sort of you know to be a part of our lives essentially in a, in a servile role uh, as I say, i'm not a vegan i'm not being i'm not being preachy about this but it's just it's an observation about kind of how that stuff has been marketed historically and there's a lot of cursed objects there cursed in one particular way and i'm just going to steal this joke from i cannot remember which comedian i've been racking my brains but It might even have been like a P.G. house book or something. The observation that a cow creamer, where the cream is coming out of the mouth of the cow, what has happened there? Like that is, that's actually a horrible, like it's produced, it's often got like part of the porcelain is somebody milking the cow?
0: Yeah,
1: and yet then the cow is like sort of spewing this stuff up into your cup of tea. Yeah,
0: it's, it's wrong. Just,
1: it's while well, smiling about it. Yeah, it's a horrible scene.
0: It's not. It's not actually accurate to reality.
1: No, I've never. <laughs> I've never seen it happen. Yeah, <laughs> and bio- I want
0: my porcelain to reflect <laughs> yeah, the realities yeah. of how, this, it's, how it's, this product was created. You've nailed it.
1: It's biologically improbable. Yeah, or uh, possibly impossible. Yeah. Um, and that and that and that's a real. But problem. just possibly. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's no absolutes here, and no absolutes in science.
0: And I think, like you know, to come back to the exhibition as well, I mm. think that was like really starkly shown. There's this like end bit of the exhibition, and um, it was a very primitive thing that they put. It's kind of like a muzzle mm. that they put on oh, the God. calves yeah, just yeah, as they've yeah. been born, so that like this calves like young, and they put this. Muzzle on it that's almost like a strap that goes around its head, and it's got like bits of metal coming out of it. So it looks that, like the
1: Hellraiser mask. Yeah, it's got these like pointy bits coming yeah, off it, yeah, so, yeah, that, yeah. so that they can't get anywhere near the others. Yeah. Is so that right?
0: Whenever they go near the mother cow, they hurt her, so she moves away. They can't drink the milk, and that's how they create the. It's forced separation,
1: essentially. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, like, it's, yeah. it's like a, it's like a hideous, it's like something you'd see in the London dungeon or something. Yeah. But it's designed and it's designed for like, yeah, just the most like horrible yeah. sort of purpose of like forcing this calf that desperately wants to be with its mother away mm-hmm. and, and vice versa away from each other. The, the other th- like the thing-
0: illusion, the illusion of the happy cow goes yeah, quite quickly yeah, when you yeah, see like yeah. a hellraiser mask for like a baby it, cow. Which right? is literally
1: what it was, yeah, 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 exactly. And I was thinking about the phrase happy cow, actually, while it, while I was looking at that exact subject, because I was like, this is such an unhappy image and i was like where have i heard happy cow what's that it's not not laughing cow it's the name of a vegan restaurant uh, guide I read- <laughs> so when i've looked up like yeah like where is you know can i find some vegan restaurants in spain in this spanish city probably not you know but uh, but i'll have a look anyway um and yeah happy cow's now like can't remember if it's user generated but it's got loads of it's got good tips for that but i like that as a reclamation of like no no we're the ones that are helping the cows mm-hmm. be happy because we're not putting them through that. I mean, the other interesting thing I learned from that particular hideous, like, cursed object of the of the kind of head sort of hellraiser brace thing, you could actually have a system where the cows were weaned away from their mothers after they have got the amount of milk that they need mm. rather than doing it at birth and continue to then milk those dairy cows, mm. having given the calves what they needed yeah. until whatever age that is. Well, that, what that would mean would be an increase in the price of milk because, yeah, because product the production would drop by I think it was twenty percent or something.
0: Yeah. Oh my god, I'm and so. And so, so,
1: like, it's doable. Yeah. It's yeah. like it's it's possible. Just a bit more money would need to be spent, and then you at least wouldn't have that particular. I appreciate there are other aspects of the dairy industry mm. that are really like awful, but. But that one particular horrible separation is not necessary.
0: I love this. Well, I mean, I hate that as a point, but I love <laughs> yeah. this because it's like allows us to think about the economics of like of the milk industry, like mm. a little bit more granularly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there was this artwork that was a coin, and on it it said "tit coin." And the whole thing was, it's like, it's this. talking about like how, <laughs> how like milk is technologized and what it still means in a kind of like virtual cultural imaginary. Right. There was so much there. But I think just to come back right full circle to oat milk. Yeah. I know I said that the that the football was my favorite object, but this actually, this is actually my favorite yeah. object. right? But it's 2D material, so I don't know if it counts as an object. <laughs> it's more ephemera, actually. Okay. <laughs> this is my favorite ephemera.
1: Not material enough.
0: Yeah. It was a zine right at the end. So, mm. you know, I kind of feel like I kind of ex- have expressed some anxieties around my relationship with oat milk, knowing that it's not really as ethical as I would kind of want, or as I would expect, or as have as the kind of advertising would have me believe. And at mm. the end, there was this zine, and it was just so, so good. You know, when you see something, you're like, oh, this is amazing. And it was basically about Killing the capitalist oat milk in your brain, and it's like <laughs> you can make oat milk. This is how you do it. And I kind of thought to myself, I was like, I make kimchi. I make yeah. all. I make
1: just which, which is actually quite difficult, and you could yeah. poison yourself. <laughs> but make, you're right. By comparison, I make
0: everything. Like I make so much stuff. Yeah. I just do it. Right, just just admiring
1: just- your spice spices before. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Thank you. Lots
1: of sushi and peppercorns. Good stuff. So many,
0: so many. <laughs> I just like I make so much stuff. Never made my own oat milk. I just buy this stuff. I it, always... Be,
1: because you love the packaging so much, yeah. And you want to know more about all the people that work there for some weird for reason. For some weird
0: reason, yeah. But yeah,
1: it's literally just... I think me and my flatmate did it during the pandemic. I when, knew you
0: would have done it. Yeah. I knew you would
1: have. <laughs> I've also made my own kimchi. <laughs> like, literally once. I'm not I'm not that smug about that stuff. Though I started making kombucha again. But let's let's focus. I think it was like the first few weeks of the pandemic when you couldn't go to the shops that often. You were inevitably running mm. out of things. And we had finished all of the dairy milk and some oat milk that we had access to. And Catherine, my flatmate, was like, "Yeah, it's just, isn't it? You just put oats in water and just leave it." <laughs> and it, it, that's right, isn't it? Yeah. Like it's not. It's literally no more sophisticated. I think than you that. might
0: whiz like whiz it up. Oh, okay. And maybe I don't know. Yeah, add, yeah. I don't know. Add bits and. Box. It was fine know, but...
1: in our in our coffee. Like I remember thinking, "This is like, why do people spend so much money?" And on, And oats my... are so cheap yeah yeah like
0: they're cheap you can do it yeah, like
1: yeah. and it's um, like
0: completely different to like so to come back to the other alternative milks like almond milk for example like ethically i just don't know how you justify it yeah. like the amount of water it takes to grow yeah, yeah. like just like a hand handful of almonds is just yeah, yeah, insane yeah. and if you're thinking that you're drinking that much as the milk mm. as, it's just it's
1: isn't soy, soy milk's quite bad as well i think if i remember right like, yeah you know, none of these are good solutions. I mean, the tricky thing for me is like, I just, while we were recording, I have had a cup of tea with Oatly barista, mm-hmm. uh, oat drink, technically, in <laughs> it. Um, and it, I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do like dairy. I think I would, I don't know about you, Cash. I'm intrigued to know because you're an omnivore as well. I think it would be much easier for me if I was forced to make a choice for some reason to give up meat and fish It would be to give up milk, butter, and cheese. (laughs) Like, I just, this is just a personal tasting, but like, if I was going to be an ethical consumer, more of an ethical consumer, like, actually stand by my principles a bit, I should look into like (laughs) where my milk comes from, stop buying it from Sainsbury's and the co op, Mm. and you probably could order this stuff in, couldn't you, from a farm that, like, that that process I was describing before where the calves are uh, weaned at the appropriate age rather Mm. than at birth. Nice. It's called calf at foot, is the sort of process, mm. and some dairies do use that. So, okay, hereby pledge to the listeners, I'm going to at least Google this later. <laughs> no more, no more I promise no more than that. Do
0: you know what, though? I think, like, with milk, it's often, like, a thing of, like, getting used to it. Mm. Like, loads of my friends drink oat milk in tea now, just because yeah. you get used to it. You get used to all of these things, but it's hard with things like butter and cheese, I think, because... Yeah you kind of just don't want to you yes. know because they taste so good vegan cheese
1: is improving apparently but not fast enough <laughs> for my liking um i'm also Sorry. like i also like this is a remarkable thing that I find very funny. Margarine was sort of considered the healthier alternative to butter in the 90s when I was yeah. growing up. My mum was furious uh, about that. Yeah. She was like, it's
0: wrong. It's wrong. And then Good. she was she was vindicated. Yeah,
1: she absolutely was because this has turned out to be bollocks, like broadly speaking. You know, mm. <laughs> I'm your doctor. I'm telling you it's bollocks. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not really. But Flora, mm. the producers of the main margarine that I remember having in the fridge and being always a bit, dis- you know, inevitably disappointed by because it it's not nice in a sandwich in the 90s flora has rebranded itself have you seen this margarine does not exist anymore but the exact same substance in the almost exact same tub exists and it's flora plant-based butter Uh, they've like it's it's the most remarkable like yeah turn like 11th hour turnaround in Mm. a brand success Mm. that nobody could have seen coming Mm. and they're like riding this wave like you know pitching it just the exact same stuff completely differently mm. as like you you care about animals, don't you? you care about the planet? We do. Yeah, 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 exactly. It's like, <laughs> but
0: it's, we didn't in the nineties, but we do now. <laughs> I mean I
1: really think they should have just changed their name from Flora because it's just like it's like I know what you're doing. Yeah. Maybe if you're... it
0: mattered that much. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah.
0: So I just kind of I kind of want to conclude this by Bringing you back to Peep Show, as all of our best episodes <laughs> always do. We
1: owe Jesse Armstrong some money, I think. Yeah, yeah. I think
0: so. <laughs> And there is a moment in Peep Show, I think, where in the fridge, Sophie's been like breastfeeding. Oh God, and why would you bring th- this
1: scene up? <laughs> go on, yeah, go on. And there's For some the of her milk, so-
0: <laughs> some of her breast milk in the fridge. Yeah. And um, I think Jez makes some teas with with the breast milk, and yeah. he's like, "Oh should I? And I think he gives one to Mark, and he Mark's does, yeah. really freaked out.
1: Well, he so, drinks it first, so and yeah. then he's like, "Wait, I thought we'd run out of milk, Jeremy." There's only the only <laughs> stuff in the fridge is. Oh no, <laughs> that, you didn't. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. And there was like a really big trend. I can't even remember how long ago now. It feels like such a provincial thing. Like so, in the in the myths of like. 2007 or something there was like an ice cream shop that was doing like human milk ice cream it was called baby gaga
1: um sorry
0: sorry, but bringing that back
1: no i didn't know this This um
0: and i just think there's something really interesting also here about like we've kind of spoken about so many different aspects of milk and i kind of wanted your opinion well i wanted to ask you the question would you would you drink human milk? No, absolutely not. That make, I'm an adult. Would that make you a, I don't know. What would if that was, be more ethical? What if it so was ethically that, sourced?
1: I don't know. Ethically sourced from who? <laughs> yeah, that, <laughs> I, I mean, know. yeah, that's, uh, I, I'm just going to go ahead and say no. Because it's uh, like, right, quite like, a simple like, answer.
0: <laughs> once you start producing milk, I'm, I'm, I mean, I don't really know much about this, and I'm sorry to the listeners that are getting a bit squeamish about this, it's but like, gonna happen. once you start producing milk, mm-hmm. right? you can carry on indefinitely. Yeah, sure. So like, that's why not, you're saying? Well, that's what happens (laughs) with the cows, but also, you know, all the weird things where like, I don't know, it felt like very early 2000s where there was a lot of kind of stuff around like children who'd been breastfed for too long.
1: Yeah, it's a big, it feels like a Jeremy Kyle subject. Yeah, like like kind of
0: like nine or 10 and they're still being breastfed. That era of like
1: social humiliation is why we know about that. Like Like, a Channel
0: 5 doc, like I still breastfeed my kid.
1: That kid's now like, traumatized by having been on tv as well as by the actual like experience
0: but like how fascinating is that as a concept so i i read somewhere that um this might be wrong but i read it somewhere so it must be right in my brain sure that human milk is one of the only places in nature or milk in general is one of the only places in, in nature like in the foodstuffs that we encounter that mixes both sugar and fat so it's like, so like, okay, so in nature, yeah. Yeah. you'll get like avocados, which are, made, which are fat, right? There's no sugar in an avocado, or you'll get something sweet, which has mainly sugar, but no fat. So this is where, this is Ooh. one of the main like, main places actually in nature where sugar and fat are mixed in like one substance, in like one thing.
1: Without it being a cake or something that is <laughs> does not grow in the ground as far as I know. But, cake. But yeah, which also has sugar and fat in it. Yeah.
0: But I just think that that's fascinating that like obviously because it's supposed to be like the most nourishing substance. Mm. And I just find it crazy that for like the majority of your life, yeah. like you won't like... If I don't have children, I will never produce milk. I don't believe. I don't. I don't think that's the and case. And yet, there's this
1: valuable but substance. Then, well, <laughs> yeah, well, I can start selling it? Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. According to your <laughs> new business plan, yeah.
0: Girl bossing it all the way to the back. <laughs>
1: And ice creams as well, possibly. I want to know more about that ice cream store, but I'm gonna Google it like, because that can't have lasted long.
0: Oh, do you remember on Big Brother when Lee Ryan was on it and he made himself lactate? No,
1: <laughs> I don't remember that. I, I, and I didn't know about it until oh, just this now. is a good
0: episode. You have a lot of
1: you have a lot of material really cursed material for this you, week's episode. Yeah,
0: I have a very intimate relationship <laughs> with Milk. I've been follow I've been I've been a fan for a long time, following <laughs> it, following its success, its stories from the sidelines. Really?
1: Yeah and you have an archive of just horrendous things to tell me. <laughs> Can I
0: tell you one final thing? Yeah, right? go on, carry when was, on.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> when I was a kid, mm. in my mum's car, mm-hmm. I think someone must have spilt some milk and it was smelt like gone off milk in one bit of the oh, car. For I'm not joking. The, like the, it must, the
1: material. Yeah, yeah, it must have been
0: for about eight to ten years.
1: Oh, no. <laughs> That smell, yeah, that. that <laughs> we might then,
0: have to cut that anecdote because it has no bearing on the rest of it. But you know, when you're just like, the smell of gone off milk is.
1: Uh, everyone so would just bad. like, dread getting into the into the car for like, yeah. Like, we're going after. on like
0: trips, we're going on day trips. Like, you know, it's, it's
1: f- open the window, it's February. I don't care. Open the window. <laughs> uh,
0: so many different aspects to this incredibly cursed conversation. Honestly.
1: Well yeah okay let's i think let that's exhausted yeah yeah i'm exhausted too and i'm just gonna go drink some black coffee i think after all of that just to kind of try and shake myself out of it but that's as good a place as any i think to round up and say goodbye uh but before we do that i just want to say thank you so much cursed object listeners um if you're not a patreon maybe consider becoming a patreon join the growing army of uh of patreons that we have army <laughs> Like a civilian sort of metaphorical army. Yeah. I want to emphasize there's no weapons being handed out. But you do get stickers. Yes. So a different sort of different sort of army, really. Differently uh, mobilised. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, join the troops. Um, it's four pounds a month. <laughs> I'm do,
0: saluting as you say.
1: Yeah, <laughs> you do get you do get some stick, you do get like a beautiful set of cursed object stickers, which were designed by our brilliant artist designer, um, Archie Bashford. Um, also,
0: it means. And that, many episodes. Yeah, loads of episodes. And, so and also, episodes. it means that we can start buying more ethical milk.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Start buying the gold top stuff on the top shelf (laughs) (laughs) then come here to play give me the top shelf gold gold top milk please
1: exactly Um, yeah (laughs) full full fat episodes etc and it's um, and and it's also just like it helps us continue to make this and to you know get out of bed in the morning really knowing that you're listening so yeah and if you can't afford to to, uh, join our Patreon and get all those bonus episodes and freebies that is fine too but if you could leave us a, a review ideally a positive one or tell a friend ideally that it's good that would be awesome as well thank you so much guys
0: thanks we love you so much ciao (laughs) bye